This morning we're continuing with the This morning we're continuing with the consummation. And I want us to see it this way. We don't see it this way. We miss the Father's joy. Remember in Luke, the announcement of the angels about the birth of this child. And what does it say? I bring you great news. I bring you news of a great joy. Typically, when we read that, we're thinking about people's joy and our joy. No, 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 no. The news is this the joy of the Father. Finally, implementing in a time frame his eternal purpose to have a people in and with whom he would dwell forever in a filial family relationship. Correct? This is the joy. And finally, in the resurrection, the consummation of that joy, what word do I want next? Begins. You notice I didn't say it's completed. It begins. He is risen is the consummation or the initiation or the beginning or the consummation of God's joy. It's not consummated yet. In other words, it's not to its fullest place. But now we're on the road. As we always have been, but we're on the road in a very different way, if you would. So the resurrection has occurred. We've talked a little bit about some of the significance of the resurrection. If you've missed these classes, go online. What do you call it? iPad? What do we call it? Podcasts? Whatever they're called. CBDs or CDs. I don't know. Whatever it is, get the film. Today, what we want to do is read the account of the 40 days. You see, Jesus has risen from the dead. And now he is ready to ascend to the throne of God in order to receive all authority for the building of God's house. And you remember, this was adumbrated. You remember what the word adumbrate? It is foreshadowed. This is foreshadowed, adumbrated in the ascent to the throne of God by Solomon. And Solomon sat on the throne of God over Israel. And once he did that, then he commissions, if you would, the building of the temple of God. That is the type that is now being fulfilled, Christ being the substance. What is the verse? Christ is the substance. What verse is that? It's from Colossians. I'll give you a little hint. Christ is the substance. That one verse sums up everything about the Old Testament. You have to know that verse. So what is that verse? Christ is the substance. Can anybody remember it? Colossians what? To what? 17. Now, check me if I'm wrong. Sometimes last week, and, and Burtis thankfully came up and told me, if, if I quote the wrong scripture in here, raise your hand and let me know. I don't get them all right. I said First Samuel 12 last week. It should have been Second Samuel 12 about Solomon. So make sure you let me know if I make a mistake like that. I'm moving along, and I have to be reminded sometimes of what's happening. So why does Jesus remain for 40 days 
before his departure into heaven. Once he rises from the dead, everything is completed as to God's plan. All that remains now is that this risen man ascend the throne of God to be given all authority by the Father in order to commence the building of the house of God, which begins on the day of Pentecost and is fulfilled finally on earth with the last person coming into the kingdom, the last stone, if you would, being put into the house. And then I believe when the last stone is put into the house and the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And the archangel, remember, will have a shout and the Lord himself will descend with all the saints. Remember that? I think that's the precipitating activity. The last stone is put in the house. And finally, the contractor can say what? It's done. It's done. Because what we're going to find out is it is finished in John 30, uh, 1930, is repeated in Revelation. I'm going to tell you where. Almost said it. Because he says, behold, all things are done. All things are done. So this morning, let's read the harmonized version, if you would, or the account, rather, of the 40 days. And, you know, I wanted to do this. We've done this for the trials, and we've done it for the crucifixion. We want to do it for this because typically most Christians simply have not read the entire account in one setting. And I, I think most of it is in pretty good, accurate order. It's not written in order to be harmonized necessarily in absolute detail. But I think for the most part, this is the flow. There may be a few things here or there that you may disagree with, but just give me some grace and, and let me read all of this. And there's an extensive information here. I mean, the revel- there's an extension, extensive content here, but so follow along with me in your material. So this would be a compilation, if you would, of the, and I've left out Mark because Mark basically is already contained. So this is a compilation of the three Gospels as it pertains to the 40-day period during which Jesus rises and then he ascends, remember, in Matthew 28 or whatever, chapter Luke 24, and so on. So let's read this. Sunday morning. Sunday morning is dawning, John 20, verse 11, 19, and I don't think I'll repeat every verse um, designation here. You can read that. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Arab, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me or do not touch me or do not be holding on to me. It can be translated two or three different ways. Do not touch me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and anointed to announce and went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So the women departed. Remember, there's, there are groups of people coming to the tomb at different times. And so you, you see what's happened. Mary is there, and then she sees Jesus, and then a group comes, or they all come together. She goes up. We have to remember, we have to give some latitude here because we're not sure what is really happening, and there's a lot of scurrying about. So the women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. This is after the angel had said he, was arisen, he has arisen. And behold, Jesus met them and said to them, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they will see me. Sunday afternoon. That was Sunday morning. This is Sunday afternoon. That very day, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, excuse me, let me put on my other glasses. I know, now I know why I can't see. I'm getting my glasses adjusted, so this is what's happened. Ah, And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with one another as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them called Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? You notice he didn't say he didn't know. He just said what? What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, It is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they they came back saying that they had even seen a a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Let me make a comment. There's a Sunday school class. No, no. There's Sunday school. Jesus himself knows the absolute necessity of the school of the word. Amen? There's your theological basis for everybody being in here and the church promoting Sunday school in a much larger way. Okay, that's just a side note. Ah, I don't want to take advantage of the scriptures here. 
So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished out of their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that very same hour and returned to Jerusalem. May I make another comment? Every time the word is taught or preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, our hearts should burn within us. Amen. Amen. Ask God to anoint all your teachers and your leaders and your preachers and your counseling with the ability of the Holy Spirit to burn within us as we hear the word. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they, then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were with fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. By the way, let me make another note there. You might want to jot down Numbers 6, 24-26. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved, they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. He said to them, have you anything to eat? (laughs) This is like New Orleans, isn't it? He should have known Pete Shefferstein. There would have been something to eat there. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them in their presence. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. These are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And when he had said this, this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold the sins from anyone, they are withheld. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin or Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. By the way, too many preachers condemn Thomas. This is a good thing. He is not going to believe just on the testimony of others because they could have been all too emotional or whatever. He needed proof. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God gives us what? Proof. 
Not even Jesus reprimands Thomas. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. See, he should have been at church that night. He missed Sunday school. Hmm. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put, your, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were, all t- were together. And Simon said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, did you catch anything? You're right. And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, and this is probably the disciple John, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put, out, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out, of the, got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and board and hauled in the net ashore, full of large fish of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dare ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. For truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciples, whom, disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table to him and said to him, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? I think I've put that in there and I don't need that, right? Is this part of that? 
Well, whatever. I think I've put that in there incorrectly. So the 40th day of the resurrection. Let's go to the 40th day. Now, there was also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them would be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And while standing with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Amen. That's the 40 days. That's the 40 days. So let's spend a few minutes and just talking about a few issues of why the 40 days. What is the purpose of the 40 days? Well, there are probably several purposes. We want to talk about at least two or three. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, this is, Luke tells us that Christ accomplished at least two essential things during his 40-day appearance with his disciples. The first is the most significant. He proved that his was a physical body. In other words, he proved he was not a phantom or a ghost. Remember when he first came in to be with them, he says, don't be afraid. It's not a spirit. It is I myself. So he proved that it, he was not a phantom, that this is a real physical body. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he spoke to them about the issues in the kingdom. And so next week we'll talk about those three. But let's talk about the proof this morning. Excuse me. First of all, many proofs. Christ's most important initial task during these 40 days was to prove that His resurrection was not just a spiritual resurrection, but it was a spiritual resurrection in the context of a physical body. The body that Jesus had before the crucifixion, resurrection, before his death, is exactly the same body that he has after his death in the resurrection. It's not a, if you would, a different body where he now has blonde hair and before he had this hair and he's now six foot eight before he was five foot two and whatever. It's the same body. The distinction is the body before his death is a body of the original or first creation. And it's a body upon which God lays the, what we're in a punishment of sin upon him. And so remember, it is a body which took to itself, he took to himself the guilt of our sin. Now make sure we get this. Jesus does not take 
to himself our literal sin. Please make sure we get that. There are people who teach that, that when Jesus went to the cross, he experienced what it was to be a sinner. This is flagrantly heretical. He took to himself our guilt, our guilt, in order to be the punishment, bear the punishment of God for the guilt of our sin. He does not become a sinner. He does not experience all the issues of sin that humanity experiences. And if you listen, you will hear preachers preach this. This is not what the Word of God says. He bears our guilt. But in the resurrection, it is that body which is then glorified by God, by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked about those the three persons of the Trinity, all involved in the resurrection. And now Jesus is back among them, but in a body not constituted according to the original creation, but constituted as to the new creation. And get that straight. Jesus comes originally in a body constituted according to the original creation. And there are certain laws and regulations and things that you can do and things that you cannot do according to the original creation. But now he comes as the first of the new creation. Remember, first fruit, Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians 15. And he is now physically raised in a new physical, spiritual, if you would, body. But that is differently constituted and is constituted according to the new creation which has a different governance than the old creation. So, let's talk about the proofs. By the way, there's still, if you listen carefully enough, those who are teaching that Jesus actually didn't rise physically. I remember when I was, Gene and I were members of the Methodist Church years ago. One of the things that some of these pastors taught was... Jesus' resurrection wasn't physical. It was really a spiritual thing, and they just thought it was whatever. It's a physical resurrection. And I want you to think about this. I'm not going to talk about it today. It is, ap- well, I will mention, but not extensively so. It is absolutely necessary to our salvation and to the completion of God's purpose that Jesus rose physically. It is absolutely necessary to our salvation and the completion of God's purpose that Jesus rose what? Physically. So someone said, well, it doesn't really matter. He rose. It does matter. It does matter. So this is why Jesus was so careful and deliberate to prove that he was a real, his was a real physical body, but not of this old creation. Therefore, this is why when Jesus appeared to the disciples the first night, here's what we just read this. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you have doubts arising in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have what? Flesh and bones that you see that I have. So did you see something here? Did you see that he has a real body, but do you, did you see from the terminology how it is differently constituted? At least immediately we see from this terminology. What is left out? Flesh. And bones I have. What does he not say? I don't have blood. Now, some believe, oh, no, no, he has blood. He just didn't say it. (laughs) 
He forgot, Mike. Oh, oh, forgot. I do have blood. The new body is a body of flesh and bone, but no blood. Have you thought about that? No blood. Christ's resurrection body was a real physical body, but a body that was made fit for the new creation. Why? So we could have bodies made for the new creation. In his resurrection, we are going to be resurrected in the same way, having a body after the type of his body. This is why Paul tells the church that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood, remember in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, cannot enter the kingdom of God. Why? Why can't flesh and blood enter the kingdom of God? Because flesh and blood is of the original, old, condemned, fallen creation. And so nothing of flesh and blood will be in heaven. What is the issue here with this thing about the blood? What is it? Why isn't blood in the new creation? This means that if Christ did not rise physically, there is no resurrection. So why no blood? Think about these things. When you read the word of God and you come across something quizzical, ask the Holy Spirit, would you give me illumination? Just don't pass over and say, well, you know, whatever. And that. Think, think, think. What does Leviticus 11, 17, 11 say? The life. Now listen, Leviticus 17, 11, very important verse. The life is where? In the blood. In the old creation, the one in which we now physically live. What keeps us alive? Blood. If you have an accident and you lose a lot of blood, if you don't get a transfusion, you will die. The fear of being hurt and bleeding is that you will die. In other words, the issue of your life will pass out of your body and you will die. If the heart does not continue to pump the blood, you will die. The whole substance of our ability to be alive, there are other issues physiologically, obviously, is that the blood system keeps us alive, taking nutrients and oxygen and all of that kind of stuff into the entire body. And so parts of the brain, for instance, will die if there is no, if there's no blood coming to my hand, it will turn gangrene. You got this? So where there is no blood, there is what? Death. So life is in the blood. That which constitutes us and keeps us alive physically, obviously the power of the Holy Spirit, we understand that. But in a physiological way is this blood system. This blood system keeps us alive. This is a foundation, if you would, in the natural sense of why we're alive today. Hebrews seven sixteen tells us this. Christ lives, however... By the power of an indestructible life. You see, now that Jesus is risen from the dead, even before the resurrection, even before he died, the life of Jesus was where? Come on, where was it? In the blood. Are you with me on this? The life of Jesus, this human being, was where before he died on the cross? In the blood. Leviticus 17, 11 applies to him also. But now that he's risen, is 
his life maintained by the blood. No, it is maintained by an indestructible life that in and of himself now, he is being maintained by the word of his own power. Remember that Hebrews 1.3, I think it's Hebrews 1.3, the word of his power. So Jesus himself, the physical person of Jesus Christ, is maintained forever as a risen, glorified human being by the power of his own word, not by the blood. In other words, there is no blood in heaven as to, the, uh, as to that which constitutes us and keeps us alive. Our new bodies will be bodies of what? Flesh and bone. How do I know that? This is what Paul says in Philippians 3.21. Christ will transform our lowly body. Lowly meaning what? Of the old creation. Our original creation, first creation, fallen creation, you know, present creation body. Out from this to be like Jesus' glorious body of the new creation. By the power, remember Matthew 28, 18, by the power that he enables him to be subject to all things. So, physiologically, what keeps us going on this earth? The blood. What will keep us going in heaven? The eternal power of the Son of God. Amen? Are you with me on this? So what kind of a body will we have in heaven? We're going to look like ourselves except glorified. Now, that's a shame for some of us. <laughs> now, I'm really serious about this. I really mean this. You're going to look like yourself. Jesus was recognized. Remember, there was some different, but, but they recognized him. Remember that? He wasn't a totally different person, Valinda. This was the Jesus that we walk with. The same size nose. The same ears. The same eyes. The same height. The same hair. It's the same man. Except in a new creation body. Mike, right? Same. So when you look in the mirror, don't disdain what God has given you because you're going to have it for a long time. And one other thing. Yes, we will be remade in glorious bodies. Healthy, young, etc. But the essence of who we are will remain the same. There won't be any makeup in heaven. There won't be any all this stuff making ourselves to look some look like someone God has not made us to be. He has made us to be who we are for his glory. And too many in the church want to change that into the glory of the idol of humanity. So if you don't like that big nose on your face, Steve, you don't like the look of those funny ears on your face, Charlie, hey, Donnie, if you don't like the way your shoulders are on your, too bad. (laughs) 
Frank is saying, thank God he didn't see me. No, I see you, Frank. <laughs> the only difference in Frank is going to be there won't be as much olive oil on him. <laughs> He's Italian. Come on, come on, come on with me. Seriously, do you get this? We need to learn to be much more thankful and content and maintaining what God gives us rather than changing what God gives us. Right? No amens. Okay. Ah, where was I? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul compares the natural body with the resurrection body because they were asking, well, if it's a resurrection body, what kind? What are we going to do? You know, we, don't, we don't get this easily because it's of a different creation. We don't have a mind for it, but Paul gives us a little insight. And he says this, what is sown, the first creation, right, is perishable. This is going to die. But what is raised is imperishable. It ain't going to die. What is sown is in dishonor. In other words, the fallen nature of man this honor to God, is raised in glory to be the display of the glory of God. It is sown in weakness. All of us know that we're weak in the flesh. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a what? Spiritual body. Therefore, as Christ was raised with a glorified body, we are who are in him shall be also be raised with a body just like his. In other words, as Jesus has today a glorified body, we will have bodies like his. Like his. Like his. He was there to prove himself, himself a real body. Remember, Thomas, what? Touch me. Put your hand in my side. Touch me. He was there to prove that his was a physical body. What did he do? He ate dinner with them. He ate dinner with them. So today as we conclude, the first and most important proof is this. Jesus rose by God giving the Son of God a genuine Real, physical, body, constituted according to the new creation. And now the Son of God has taken to himself our humanity in Jesus Christ. And now forever, there is a real man, the God-man, in the throne of God. And our bodies will be like his body. His won't be different than ours. It will be the same kind of body. And one more comment. Since there is no blood in Jesus' new body, what about these stigmatas? You know what the stigmata is? Where there are visions of statues or whatever, bleeding and so on. What is that all about? You see, there is no blood. There is no blood for Jesus to say, this is my blood. Remember? Meaning physically, this is my blood. There's no blood. As a representation, certainly. But not as physical blood. I have a body of flesh and bones. A body that will never wear out. A body that will never need glasses and dentists and chiropractors and hearing aids and falling out hair and anything else. 
an eternal body. Amen? So next week, we'll talk about some of the other aspects of why Jesus delayed for 40 days.